Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to spend the rest of our night laying a foundation from these three verses. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth, fourth month of the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now, as we start this study in Ezekiel, it's pretty obvious from the beginning of this book that we need some background information to get up to speed. For example, the 30th year of what? Fourth month, fifth day. Also, Ezekiel, we see, is by the Kebar Canal with the exiles. Where is this? Where, where and who are the exiles? There's also some information in verses 2 and 3 that we can pull out to begin to build our answer to these questions. We see in verse 2 and following that the Kebar Canal is where? It's in the land of the Chaldeans, which is in the area of Babylon, yes. We also see that King Jehoiachin is exiled with them. That's going to be helpful for us in just a little bit. We also see that the scripture shows us that Ezekiel is a priest and his father's name is Buzi. All right. So we've got some information here that is going to get us launched. But we need more information, and that's what my role is. Those of us who have been called by God to preach and to teach and to study the Word and to explain it to you, that's why I've done my work. You get your pieces of paper out and your pens, get ready, because we're going to start to look at what the background information is. All right? Let's start off with the nation of Israel. And the way, let's go way back to when they had a united kingdom. Because at this point that Ezekiel's writing, and I'll tell you in just a little bit what year this is, at this point... The kingdom has been divided. They've been exiled a couple of times in different parts, and I'll explain all that in a second. But let's go back to when the kingdom of Israel was united under the first king, Saul. From a time around 1043 B.C. until 931 B.C., the, the nation of Israel was a united kingdom under the leadership of Saul, and then who? David, and then who? Solomon. And so during that 100 and around 110 years, the nation of Israel was in the land under the king leadership that they had, and they were together. Around 931, and by the way, I'm going to keep saying this all the time. When you hear dates, I'm going to say around, because it's going to be, when I say 931, it could be 932, nine, you see what I'm saying? Part of the problems, if you don't like sports like I do, when you're trying to check on a sports team, especially a basketball team, basketball season starts in the fall of one year, carries into the spring of the next. So which is that season? Is it 2015, 2016? You see what I'm saying? In the same way, some of these dates will jump between years. So I'm going to be giving you a lot of dates. I'm going to say around. All right. So around 931 B.C., the kingdom was then divided into two kingdoms with Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And this happened between 931 and 722 B.C. All right. From 1043 to 931, there was a united kingdom. After Solomon, they started having fights, and the northern kingdom, they called it Israel, had their set of kings, and the southern kingdom, we called Judah, had their set of kings, and they were divided between 931 and 722. The reason I say 722 is, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria, who came in and took them captive in 722 BC. God had been warning them through the prophets that this was judgment was coming because of their sin, their idolatry, worship of other gods, even though they're not gods. And the Assyrians, who were in power at that time, came in and captured the northern kingdom and carried them off. But don't just take my word for it. Put a bookmark in Ezekiel, and let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 17. 
2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 18. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and he offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. And he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Gazan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the Lord, sorry, and the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised His statutes and His covenant that He made with their fathers and the warnings that He gave them. They went after false idols and became false. They followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens sold and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. By the way. In this passage, we see that the judgment came on the northern kingdom of Israel. Had God given them warnings? We read there over and over. He sent the prophets to warn them and to say. Now, as you're going to hear through this study, you're going to see some parallels. Please do not hear that what God did to Israel is exactly what he's doing to America because America is the next Israel. Mm -mm. We're just one of the many nations that God has made to bring glory to himself across the face of the earth. We have been a treasured and a prized and blessed nation because of how we were allowed to start as a nation and how we focused on things of God. And we, this nation came about because of our desire to worship God and to put him first. And many of the first buildings on the cornerstone of our nation were the cornerstone of those buildings were scriptures. And, and our first, what we know as Harvard, our first university was set apart to be a place where preachers would be taught and the scriptures would be taught. We used to have the Ten Commandments in all of our schools as a part of everything we did. 
as a nation, have we ourselves done the exact same thing that the nation of Israel has done in turning our back on God and doing what he said not to do? And folks, let me just say something to you. A judgment not only is coming on the nation of the United States, and I'm going to get to that as we get further on in our study. You'll see why I believe what the scripture says. But at the same time, let me tell you, I believe without question the judgment has already begun. There's going to be a final judgment and I'm going to, as we get there in the study, show you from the scriptures why I don't believe that the United States is really going to be much of a player in the very, very last days from scripture. But I can prove to you right now that the judgment of God has already begun on our nation. And I won't have you turn there, but I'll have you look at it later on. In Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 and following, the scripture says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness because of men who suppress their truth. So the truth. Although what, they, what was known about God was clear to them, they worshipped other things. But then the scripture goes on and says this. Because of this, he gave them over to their shameful lusts. Men with men, women with women, doing things that were not meant for men with men and women with women. And folks, as we watch our nation individually, state by state, approve homosexual marriage, and our Supreme Court say that states can do this, it's very clear that God has already given us over to our shameful lusts. Now, as you're going to see in our study, I got good news for those of us who are in Christ. Even when he brings a judgment on the nation, there are going to be consequences for us who live in that nation. Yet he will take care of those whose eyes stay on him throughout the whole process. As you know, I believe without question, the Bible teaches in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church, pre-millennial rapture of the church. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we won't go through struggles between now and when the rapture occurs. The study of Ezekiel is going to be very, very helpful for us in this way. Because we're going to see how God warns a nation, gives opportunity, and then he tells them what's going to happen because of their rejection of him. Plus, there are prophecies here in Ezekiel, as you're going to see, I'll explain a little later tonight. There comes a point where it's too late and he just starts focusing on what's going to happen next. But for right now, we, we know that the nation of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, what they call the northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. And in 722 B.C., the, the, the other shoe fell for the northern kingdom. They had their opportunity, and God allowed the Assyrians to come in. Oh, they had been taking control for a while, but ultimately carried them off in 722 B.C. Judah, though, remained in the land that God gave them for 135 more years until they were taken captive to Babylon. Now, you say, wait a minute, what happened to the Assyrians? Well, the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. If you remember our study from, from our study of Revelation and the four kingdoms and how there's going to be a final kingdom, and there was the Assyrians, and then there were the Babylonians, and the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks, and the Romans. and the, the Assyrians had been taken captive during this time, or conquered, if you will, by the Babylonians. So at this point, in 590, sorry, 605 B.C., the beginning of the removal of the Jews from Judah begins. As they, it's over a long period of time, between 605 B.C. to 597 to ultimately 586 B.C., as you're about to see, God uses the nation of Babylon to come and to start taking people out of Israel and finally by 586 B.C. totally removing them from the land. Nebuchadnezzar, though, began the conquest of Jerusalem and the deportation of Jews, like I said, in 605 B.C. And he took captives that he chose. He left a lot of the Jews there in the land, but Daniel was taken captive during this time. And even though he and Ezekiel were around the same age, Ezekiel stayed in Jerusalem. 
This is a kind of a cool thing. This may help you in our study here. Ezekiel and Daniel are both about the same age. Jeremiah the prophet is about 20 years older than Ezekiel, but Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah all knew each other. And I'm going to show you that later on. But go with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and look at verses 1 through 7. As I remind you of what happened in 605 B.C. Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, keep that in mind, that's different than Jehoiachin we read about in Ezekiel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, small g, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So in 605 B.C., Babylon's now in power. They come into the land. The southern kingdom, Judah, is attacked and besieged. And the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, takes control over the king Jehoiakim at that time. And he takes him as a prisoner and some of the stuff from the temple. And he also sends some people to go pick some choice men and to bring them into leadership there to be trained as Babylonians. We have heard of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And again, later on in our study, you're going to see these names come up a little bit more. All right. Now, this was in 605 B.C. In 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar makes another attack of Jerusalem, and he takes the king at that time and a group of 10,000 people to Babylon. Ezekiel and his wife are a part of this captivity. All right. So 605, he gets Daniel and some of the other guys. 597 is when he comes and takes the next king and 10,000 people. And in that group was Ezekiel and his wife. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 24. 2 Kings chapter 24 verses 8 through 17. Verse 8 of 2 Kings 24, Jehoiachin, this is the name we heard in Ezekiel 1, which we're going to come back to in just a second. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At the t that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasuries of the house. By the way, that's the eighth year of, ba of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, not, not of Jehoiachin's. How long did Jehoiachin reign? 
Only three months. So he, he, the king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of king of Babylon's reign and carried off all the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Earlier he had taken some, now he's taken all of them. And the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon the king of Israel had made, as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land. He took into captivity from ba Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, a thousand of them, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mat Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, the king in his place, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. So he comes in now and he takes captive Jehoiachin, and 10,000 people there in Jerusalem, and he takes them to Babylon, and he takes Jehoiachin's uncle, and he makes him king in Judah. Is he really king in Judah? No, he's just working for, for the king of Babylon as his vassal, if you will, there in, in Judah. And as I said before, by 586, they all were removed from the land. So during 605 to 586 B.C., we see Babylon now come and God allows the judgment on that part of the nation of Israel as well. Northern Kingdom was taken captive in 722. Southern Kingdom was taken captive between 605 and 586 B.C. All right. Now, this gives us the date of Ezekiel's writing. All of that that I just told you gives us the date of when Ezekiel is writing. Go back with me down to Ezekiel chapter 1. It says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, and in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of the king Jehoiachin. When was Jehoiachin taken captive? 597 B.C. So this is the fifth year. Stick with me. Don't run to do too, math too fast. This is the fifth year of Jehoiachin's captivity. So anybody want to guess what year this is? 93. You know how? I'm 51. I'm in my 52nd year. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is around 593 that he's writing. But what about the 30th year, fourth month, fifth day of the month? Most Bible scholars believe that Ezekiel 1.1, and I lean in this direction as well, even though I'm not a Bible scholar, they believe that Ezekiel 1.1 refers to Ezekiel's age. If he was 25 years old when he was taken captive, and it's now five years later, Ezekiel would be around, what, 30 years old. And actually, I think he's 30 years, four months, and five days. I think Ezekiel's telling us his age how old he was at this time. Now, there's something cool here that you might not realize. He was a priest, the son of Buzi, right? Anybody want to take a wild guess when a priest began to serve? When they were 30 years old. Jesus began his ministry at 30 years old. I believe Ezekiel is telling us how old he is. He's 30 years old, four months, and five days old. At that age, on that day, on the fifth day of the month. Oh, by the way, it's the fifth year of Jehoiachin's exile, which gives us the year. God got a hold of him. 
He's there at the Keber Canal, and you'll see later on in our study, he's actually allowed to have a house. It's not a bad captivity. You're going to see in just a little bit that Jeremiah actually writes to the exiles in, Jeremiah's still in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah writes to the exiles in Babylon and tells them, you're going to be there a while. You might as well just go ahead and build some, house, build some houses, plant your crops. We'll get to that in just a second. But Jim, also, if you were a Jew who knew scripture, that sort of gave him street cred, didn't he? I'm telling you prophecy from the Lord, I'm 30, I'm now of the age to... I can definitely see how the, if you were a Jew, that would probably help because this guy's a priest and saying, I'm 30, you can listen to me. That might be part of it as well. We're not going to, for the sake of time, turn there. But in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, you'll find that Jeremiah was also not only a prophet, he was a priest. I'm not going to make you do the work right now, but if you're really interested, it's kind of a fun study. Write these things down. Look at Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It tells us about the prophet Zechariah and who his father was. And then if you parallel that with Nehemiah chapter 12, Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 12 through 16, you'll see that it lists the priests and it lists Zechariah's father as being a priest. And if Zechariah's father was a priest, Zechariah was of that same lineage. That meant he was a priest. And so guess what? Even Zechariah was a prophet and priest. Ezekiel, God had planned this for his life even before he was born. If you go back and look, Jeremiah said, God, who set me apart to be a preacher to the nations before I was born, before I was in the womb. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 1 when he's listing the story of his life and how he was, you know, seeking to increase in the Jewish realm and then Jesus got a hold of him and he says it this way, And God, who set me apart as a preacher to the Gentiles before I was born. Do you realize that everything was right on schedule for Ezekiel's life, even though in the midst of what was happening in his day, his nation was under judgment. He had been taken captive along with he and his wife. He's now brought into a different nation and a different culture. Chaos would seem like everything's not going as I thought it would. And everything is right on schedule because God had ordained for him to be his mouthpiece at that time, at that place. I used to for years feel guilty that I lived in America. I mean, I've been on mission trips. You've been on mission trips. We go to parts of the world where, man, the poor people in our country aren't poor. If you want to see poverty, you need to go to Haiti. They'll be jealous of the panhandlers who are making way more than they'd ever make in 10 years in one day here in America. And then God got a hold of me when he showed me in Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God determined the time set for each of us and the exact places that we would live and I have come to the realization that Jim Johnson was chosen by God to be in America. Oh, but not just in America, in these days and to speak to the church in these days to get them ready for what Jesus is doing according to the scriptures and to wake the church back up that it's not about us. It never was. We have been grafted in by God's grace as a wild olive shoot into a natural olive shoot, which is the nation of Israel. And he's all along planned to use us Gentiles to make Israel jealous. And our role as Christians all along has been that we would know the scriptures. And like Jesus said, why don't you go back and read everything that was written? Why do you all of a sudden think that just the New Testament is what you're going to read? 
Why do you not understand everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled? How come most Christians have never read Ezekiel? How come most Christians today have never studied Jeremiah and Zechariah? And part of the reason why we're so confused about the book of Revelation, as you've heard me already teach, is because we didn't read the Old Testament. If we had read the Old Testament, we would have read the book of Revelation and gone, makes total sense. It's actually just putting together everything that's already been said. And so, folks, I want you to understand, in a weird way, I'm excited about the days that we're in. Because God ordained for me to be alive in these days. And he chose before I was born that I'd have this role. You've been chosen by God just as much to live in these days. And I thank God that you're here, hungry, wanting to know what the scriptures are saying. So that he can use you however he chooses to use you to be speaking to the people in this day that need to hear this. Remember we talked about this before. The prophets in the Old Testament searched intently as to the times and the seasons of the things that the Spirit of God in them was writing about. And they were told what? Not going to happen in your lifetime. But aren't we glad they wrote it down? Aren't we glad they passed it on? And even though the book of Revelation was written to the church, that doesn't mean we're going to be living in those days. When all those things between chapter 4 and chapter 19 happen, I believe the Bible shows we won't. But we've been given a responsibility to pass it on and to share it. Just um, yesterday, I just happened to be golfing. And uh, actually, it wasn't an accident. Had the privilege of, and I don't have the time to tell this story, had the privilege of being used of God about a month ago with uh, Pastor Leroy from Central Baptist and a guy named Jim Hicks who used to go to this Bible study. He goes to the one on Wednesdays now because it's closer to his house. The three of us were playing golf over at Melbourne. And there was a man on the putting green right next to the first tee that was there by himself. And we invited him to join with us. Too long of a story to tell. But during the course of a, him playing with us, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a cool story. This man, Tom, after we were done playing, I said, hey, I, I would love to play with you some more. And he said, I want to play with all y'all. And he took all of our numbers and we've been playing regularly. He then set it up that I would, and he and Leroy, pastor at Central, would play with him and his neighbor. His neighbor is a Jew. And it just so happened that Monday, when he was supposed to play again with me and Leroy and his neighbor, that he couldn't make it. So it was just me and Leroy and his neighbor. And the way that God worked it all out, Leroy had to leave at a certain point. So now it's just me and this Jewish man. And he had already set up that he would meet with me after the round to give me all these books that his father had passed away and he had been collecting. His father was a devout Jew who had been reading intently the scriptures and his brother's a rabbi and all this stuff. And he said, I have some books that you'll find very inspirational. As we met in the parking lot and he starts passing books from his car to mine, he says, look at this and look at this. And one of the books he gave me was the book of Psalms. Beautifully made. I mean, it's just a Gorgeous, gorgeous book of Psalms. And I turned to him, I said, Craig, can I show you something real cool in the book of Psalms that I just found recently? And he goes, what's that? I go, let me show you. And I opened up to, to Psalm 22, where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said, that's exactly what Jesus said on the cross. And then a few verses later, they pierced my hands and my feet. A band of evil men have encircled me and they cast lots for my clothing. And I said, look, 
This was written by David long before Jesus ever came on the scene and he prophesied about what would happen. And I said, you don't have to stop being a Jew to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, I wish I could tell you he's come to faith. Actually, he got very uncomfortable because it was clear what the scriptures were saying and it went against everything that he had been taught. And God said, you've shown him everything I want you to see. And we just closed the book and we went and sat down and ate a hot dog and drank some soda and talked some more about other things. Listen to me. You can do that too. God can use you just as anybody else. It's not just us preachers, but you need to know what the scriptures have said. And then when God opens those doors, you can, when people are freaking out about what's going on in our world, you say, oh, by the way, everything's right on schedule. Let me show you what it says. Now, it's important to note that Ezekiel will often date his prophecies from the start of their exile in 597 B.C. Make a little note there. That'll help you throughout our study because he'll start another prophecy and then he gets another prophecy and another one. And he'll start it with when he got it, but he'll tie it back to 597 B.C. when he and, and Jehoiachin and those 10,000 were exiled. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I'm going to have you do a little math here. So go to Ezekiel chapter 40 and look at verse 1. It says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. All right. So if this is the 25th year of our exile, 597 minus 25 is what? That's good. You can say it loud. 572. But he also says that it's the 14th year after the city was struck down. When was the city struck down? I told you that already tonight. 586. 586 minus 14 is 572. Do you see? He gives us two ways to know exactly what year it was that this happened. In the year 572 is when he writes this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 40. As we go through this study, and he'll start giving dates and what year and month and day and all that, it's always tied back to 597 from when he was exiled. Because when do you really start it? I mean, the, the exile started in 605 with Daniel and his buds, and then 597 with him and the 10,000, and then 586 ultimately is when they were removed and the city was destroyed. So 597 is when he's going to be dating a lot of the dates from. All right? Now, as I touched on, Ezekiel's captivity was not only uh, not one of slavery, but it, he actually owned a house. And we'll get to that later on. You'll see that when we get to chapter three sometime in the spring of the year. But um, but there were false prophets. There were false prophets who were prophesying a quick return to Jerusalem. As they were over there in exile in Babylon, there were prophets, not prophets of God, but there were preachers who were telling the exiles, hey guys, it isn't going to be very long. I got a word from the Lord. We're going to be all right. If you just humble yourself and pray. Listen closely to what I want to see you to hear. Later on in our study, you're going to see in Ezekiel chapter 14 that God says, if I decide that I'm bringing judgment on a nation, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job are in that nation, it won't turn around. It won't stop. That's Ezekiel's words. We'll get to that in a little bit. So in that time that Ezekiel's there in ex exile in Babylon, there were false prophets saying, we're going to be going back to Jerusalem. It's not going to be very long. Everything's going to be okay. There's lots of those kind of preachers today. Go to Jeremiah chapter 29. 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 23. <clears throat> Some of your Bibles have a heading there. What does it say? Jeremiah's letters to the, letter to the exiles. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who's included in this list? Ezekiel. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother of the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, and craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting how God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, sends a letter to the king of Babylon to have it read to the exiles. God says, I sent you into exile. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it. Nebuchadnezzar's thinking he captured them. And God says, oh, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, tell the exiles I did it. This is what God says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. Sorry, on behalf of its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you and declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring out without getting bogged down too much. This is a very familiar and very famous passage, isn't it? Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody loves to quote, I know the plans I have for you. And yes, they do apply to us who are his children, because he has awesome plans for all of us. But at the same time, that was written to the nation of Israel while they were in exile. And if you remember, this is actually where he says, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, this, there's no time for us to get into this now. But if you actually did some research and did some math, you'll find out that this captivity doesn't last just 70 years. Their captivity, when the Babylonians lose power, who comes into power after? The Medes and the Persians. If you remember reading in Daniel, he talks about how he was under Nebuchadnezzar, but later on he becomes under Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians. Wait a minute. If, if, if the Babylonian captivity is done, and now you're under the Medes and the Persians, why weren't they going back to the land? It's actually not till later on that they're allowed to go back. And if you do the math, it's longer than 70 years. Hello? 
Well, that's why we need to read the Scriptures and stick to what the Scriptures say and don't add to it. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. Hey, actually, you do a study, you'll find from the time that Babylon was allowed to be in power until the time that Babylon's uh, authority or reign ended. Anybody want to take a wild guess how long it was? 70 years. He says, after Babylon's had their time. I'm going to at some point bring you back into this land. But listen closely to what he says. And at that time, at that time, you're going to be gathered from all the nations that I scattered you. Have they been scattered to all the nations here? No, the Assyrians came and took them into that land. And then the Babylonians took care of the Assyrians. And then the Babylonians came and took the rest of them into that same land. The scattering didn't happen until 70 A.D., the scattering of the nation of Israel to all the nations and to all the world has happened in our day, as you know, the coming back has happened in our day. But in A.D. 70 through A.D. 135 is when the nation of Israel was ultimately scattered according to the prophecies. And there is a prophecy here that says in the very last days they will seek him and find them when what? They seek him with all their heart. Has that day happened yet? No. But it's going to I don't care what the politicians say about how Israel's the pain in the rear end of the world over there in that land. I don't care what Christian preacher on the web tells you that the Christian church should be pro-Palestine. The Bible says that the Christians should be pro-Israel because God has promised that one day he's going to gather them from all the nations, bring them back into the land, and Jesus himself is going to come and set up his kingdom there and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And as you've already seen and we'll see later on in our study, David, his prince, will be ruling with him during that time as well. And we will be, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. But what you see here in the scriptures is there were false prophets who were saying everything's going to be all right. Jeremiah was told to tell the exiles, you're going to be there for a while. God's already told me to tell you, don't listen to the people that say it's going to be all right. You're going to be in captivity. Folks, I, I wish I had a word from you specifically from, what's, uh, from the Lord as what's going to happen to us, but that's not my role. But I can tell you this much. As I look at the scriptures, if I'm going to be faithful to what the scriptures say is going to be happening according to the nations in the last days, it doesn't look good for us as a nation. It doesn't matter who you vote for in a few months. Either way, it's not going to be good for us according to the scriptures. You know why? Because even though we're the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, and that's weakening daily, we are not mentioned. Some say, wait a minute, Jim, what about this one place where it talks about these uh, the, 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 come from the Tarshish and, the, and, and Dedan? And, and, well, you know what? If that's us, look at the scriptures. All we do is sit there when all the judgment's coming and attack on Israel and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And we don't do anything. But if we're also faithful to the scriptures, the Bible says very clearly that in the last days, every nation on the earth will be against Israel. If we still exist, what does that say about us? Hey, we need, we, need to study, we need to study the book of Ezekiel. Because we're in a judgment that will continue. And if our nation doesn't turn around, what God has said will happen to the nations that turn their back on him is going to happen to us. How are we going to react? I don't know. I just read 
that Jeremiah was told from God to tell the exiles, be a blessing to that nation that you're in. Did you catch that? Be a blessing to that nation that you're in. Folks, Christians nowadays are railing against America and how we're, we need to speak the truth and say we need to call back on God. We need to humble ourselves. We do need to pray. We do need to seek God because he may relent. He may bring back, the, but I don't see it. But I do know this much. I need to be, as I live in this nation that is becoming a lot more like Babylon, I need to be a blessing to it. I need to serve the Lord. I need to be faithful to Him and His Word. But what did Daniel do? He worked for the Babylonian king. And God blessed it. And they said, there's something about this guy. The Spirit of God's in him. We can be used in this nation to be a blessing even as judgment comes. I know you want to hear the preachers that say, we're going to be all right. Everything's going to turn around. I, I can't be that. After Ezekiel, you're going to see in our study, after Ezekiel prophesies about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, after it comes true, he's going to focus the rest of his prophecies about the future restoration of Israel and the millennial kingdom. You're going to see this amazingly happen in our study. At the beginning of it, as all the other false prophets are telling the exiles, hey, we're going to be all right, we're going back. Jeremiah, sorry, not just Jeremiah, but also Ezekiel are prophesying, no, the city is going to be totally laid waste. A judgment is coming, and it's already begun, and we've already been exiled a little bit, but God's going to bring a final judgment on the nation of Israel or the city of Jerusalem, and it's going to happen. From the point, and you'll see when that happens in our study, from the point that that actually happens, when you get to that year in Ezekiel's life, and the nation, sorry, the city of Jerusalem falls. From that point on, Ezekiel's prophecies are all about the coming kingdom. The new temple, the river from the temple flowing and turning the Dead Sea fresh. David coming and ruling there. Jesus himself setting up the kingdom. Where the tribes are all going to be. Which is totally different, by the way, than it was back in the time of Joshua. God's going to set up the nations, the tribes of Israel in different parts of the land. And it's going to be a fun, fun study to see. But we need to be ready for this. Throughout the beginning part will be warnings and warnings and warnings and warnings. How ought we to live then as believers in this day? We keep our eyes on the Lord. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. We bless them. We don't curse them. And we allow God to do what he's chosen for us to go through in the life and the time that he's chosen for us to be. And it will be a lot easier if we know all that the prophets have spoken. You won't be easily despairing. You won't be discouraged. You won't be confused if you know all that the prophets have said. And so one thing you're going to start noticing as we go through this study is I'm going to be jumping around between not just Ezekiel, but also Jeremiah and Zechariah and all these contemporary prophets telling you how all God was speaking through them about what was going to happen and in the midst of God telling them what was going to happen, he prophesies about what's going to happen, I believe, in our day. You ready for that? I am. So. Isn't there a great revival supposed to come now? Nope. The revival is going to happen during the tribulation period. There's going to be multitudes that come to faith during that time. Yet at the same time, in comparison to how many people are going to be killed and how many people on the earth are going to be judged during that time, it won't be considered a revival. 
There will be a mighty time of a thousand years of Jesus' reign on the earth, which the Bible describes as a wonderful time of righteousness, yet there will still be sin on the earth. But this great revival that people call about and talk about, they don't show you in the scriptures. And the only place they even might try to say is from Revelation, where I saw the multitudes from every nation coming. But the Bible is very clear that these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation. So will there be a massive revival? There'll be many that come to faith during the tribulation period. But it's not a turnaround of the world. Do you understand the difference? Many coming to faith, but not a turnaround of the world. Because the Bible is very clear in many, many, many places. The world's going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus judges it. There is not going to be this great revival. There'll be multitudes that come to faith under the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses during the tribulation period. And thank God for that. But what happens to them, by the way, according to the scriptures? They're be killed and beheaded for their faith. And they come to life at the end of the, of the, the seven-year period and reign in the thousand years with us. There's no great revival coming, folks. Does that mean we don't pray for it? Oh, we still pray for God to save as many as he will. We keep sharing the gospel until the day we die. Just because there's a pre-tribulational rapture, doesn't mean we won't be killed for our faith before then. Are you ready? Hey, get ready. Because God chose for you to live at this time. He determines the time set for us and the exact places we'd live. And everything is right on schedule. And we're all the ones who have the word of God showing us what's going to take place. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. My job is to show you what's going to happen so that you'll be ready. Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you next week.